listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So uh, we're about to wrap up our summer series. It's, we have today and then next week, uh, again, talking about family ties, looking at passages of Scripture um, not exclusively, but largely from the Old Testament, and understanding that although this happened in a different culture, in a different language, in a different time, I mean, a long, long time ago, that these stories are still pertinent to us. They're like family stories. Like we're all in, you know, Father Abraham's family. I mean, the kids just left, and I'm ready to do the Father Abraham song. But those, those are our stories, and for good and for ill sometimes, Right? So we like to tell the stories of our families where someone has done something great, accomplished something. Then again, we all have like a Uncle Eddie, you know, that none of us actually have seen for years because he's been in prison for a long time, you know, that type of thing. And the scripture is kind of filled with those sorts of things too. But part of what we wanted the summer to do for us is not just to tell these stories, but to try and pick up some customs or some practices. That is, that these people who have gone before us were real people living at a real time with real circumstances, and nevertheless, they found a way to be faithful to God. They found a way to, to live a life, to have some habits, and to have some practices. So today we're going to talk about keeping the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath... Uh, was something that was unique to the Jewish people. In the ancient world, uh, where people were mostly agrarian, um, there was not a lot of uh, cultures that had a practice of taking the day off. I mean, if you're living kind of day to day, trying to kind of live actually hand to mouth, the idea of taking a day off seemed kind of crazy. Like, who would, who would have the time or who could afford the luxury? And so the idea of taking a day and setting it aside uh, to rest and to rejuvenate and to reflect and to kind of be with God was something that was uniquely Jewish. Or before we just, you know, referred to the group as the Jews, uniquely kind of Hebrew. Um, In the ancient world, again, uh, if you were a slave, of course, you had no choice but to work 365 days a year. But even if, even if you were free, you would often find yourself working like that. And so the idea that, that you might take time off was bizarre and maybe even a little risky. Because if you did, who's to say that you would have the resources the following day? So it's a real kind of um, commitment Commitment to kind of trust in God because God is our provider. Now, for us these days, I think uh, a lot of us find ourselves in situations where we don't have to work seven days a week. So if you're, if you're in a situation where you have to work seven days a week, uh, I want to kind of be sensitive to that. There was a time in my life where I worked seven days a week. You know, I was young and I was poor and taking the day off didn't seem to be an option, right? You had a job here, you had a job there, I was trying to go to school, 
And so I would go to church on Sunday morning, but then I would leave and go to the restaurant and kind of wait on tables. And let me tell you, waiting on tables, anybody ever work in food service? Waiting on tables is hard work. It's kind of stressful. You know, you have a lot of different variables. You kind of constantly keep in your mind. They're constantly changing. And this is a little bit of an indictment, but did you know the worst time to wait on tables? Anybody know? Sunday afternoons. Yeah, Sunday afternoons is the worst time to be a server at a restaurant. And you know why that's the case? Because church people are mean. They are, they're demanding, and they're not great tippers. They like to leave you little tracks to talk about getting saved that sometimes look like money. And you pick it up thinking, oh, I got it. Oh, wait a minute, that's just a track. That's a horrible indictment. This is a very practical lesson for you today. If, if you're going to go out to eat after church today, be nice and leave a good tip. That's the way to practice the Sabbath, to care for those who are in need. That's actually a big part about what we think Sabbathing actually is. Now, this message is going to be a little difficult for some of you. And I, I will refer to this group as kind of the rule followers. Like, you know who you are if you're a rule follower. You, can you admit it? It's okay. Confession's good for the soul. Where's Angela? I know she's raising her hand somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so rule followers understand that things get done when rules are followed, that rules are there for a reason, right? And when we do them, things work. The challenge is, now some of us, I'll include myself, I, I'm, rules are more like guidelines, you know? There are things that you kind of follow to get you in the right direction. But the point here is, is that rules, when they're used as the end instead of a means to an end, uh, start to dysfunction. There's a dysfunctionality there, right? They malfunction. So the rule should always be a means to an end and never an end in itself. We're not following the rule for the sake of the rule. We're following the rule because the rule can be helpful. Uh, to use Paul's language, it has to do with the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, right? And so often the Jews found themselves in ancient Israel. They would find themselves kind of sometimes treating the law as though it was the goal, like it was the purpose, as opposed to it being a means to the, to the end. So we're going to read a bit from Isaiah 58 here. I'm picking up about halfway through the chapter. In fact, I'm going to pick up mid-verse, so the second half of verse 9. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you, order, excuse me, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. 
You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, if I'm understanding what Isaiah is saying here, is that sometimes the Jews had kind of found themselves practicing the Sabbath, but doing it in ways that were counterproductive. Like they were following the Sabbath, maybe just to follow the Sabbath. Or they're trying to follow the Sabbath in some kind of strict way. That they weren't following the Sabbath in ways that were kind of sensitive and caring to their neighbors who might be in need. Uh, There's a passage in Luke that we'll look at later that kind of speaks to a similar thing. The Sabbath. Let's think about it. So the, the children in September and Upstreet are going to be learning about kind of the days of creation. And so God created on, you know, as the story goes in Genesis 1, God created on days 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. On day 6, he created animals, including, including humans. Now, on day 7, what did God create? He rested, right? On day 7, God takes a day off. Was he tired? I mean, he's been doing a lot those previous weeks, you know, getting a lot done. Or is the rest, is, is the time with God what the rest of the, the, the remainder is really all about? It's, it's that empty space. It's that time kind of with. That's really, I mean, we work so that we can live. Now, some people, I think, they live so they can work. And in our culture, that gets um, celebrated. I've said this to you before, that sometimes we treat a full calendar like a badge of honor. People say, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy, I must be an important person. Look how busy I am. Or if, if I'm not important, I'm at least good. Right? I'm active. I'm doing something. I'm, I'm not letting the grass grow under my feet. Look at my calendar. I teach at the college, I pastor at the church, I edit a journal, I have six daughters. <laughs> I, I got a lot going on, right? Somebody should give me a badge. But maybe a life that's so busy that often ends up being hectic is not a badge of honor, but rather just a sign of a poorly balanced life. Maybe, maybe if, I'm, if I'm not learning to say no, if I'm not carving out space just to be present with God, not a utility, right? God is not a resource. I'm going to say that again. God is not a resource. 
It's not like you're living your life and the neighbor's living their life. They don't have God, but you do, so you should be better off than they are. God is not reducible to some tool or some advantage. God is God. And God, believe it or not, wants to be with us and wants us to be with him. The the parenting metaphor is a great one here. It's not just a matter of, of quality time versus unquality time. It's a matter of just some time. Just some time. We need, to, we need to practice this. And there's various ways, of course, that this can be done. I want to, to as a way of analogy, I'd like to compare Sabbath-keeping to fasting. And I do this because in Isaiah 58, it's split into two sections, and the second half, which we read, had to do with Sabbath-keeping. But the first half had to do with fasting. We often get that one wrong, too. Not just us, but Isaiah's audience. So I'm, I'm not going to put this on the screen, so you're going to have to listen, listen carefully. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. You ready? That sounds heavy, Robbie. Ready, rebellious people? Ready to hear your sins? Day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways. Hmm. As if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, they say, but you do not see God? Why, why humble ourselves, but you, you don't notice? God responds, look, you serve your own interest on your day of fast. You oppress the workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked, feast, a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to just humble yourself? Is, is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes, like I thought it was? Will you call this fast an acceptable day of the Lord? These are all questions. They're rhetorical questions. And the obvious answer is is no. Even though I thought it might have been yes. And then Jesus, Jesus, God responds, Is not this the fast that I choose? Ready? This is the kind of fasting God likes. To loose the bonds of injustice. To undo the uh, thongs of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall be before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard." How in the world was there some ancient calculus that got to the point 
that seeking to know God and that longing to be with God somehow became sin. If our longing to be with God, if our wanting the righteousness of God in our lives, if we think that somehow we can do that and not care for the poor and not share with the hungry and not visit the oppressed, then Isaiah's like, you're missing it. In fact, it's more than just you're missing it. It got listed as sins. Like, how is it the things that we know we're supposed to do can sometimes be sinful? Sabbath keeping can be sinful. If you see someone in need and you're like, well, it's my day off. If, if you see someone that you, can't, you can help, but you just refuse to because, well, I got a lot going on in my life. That's not the Sabbath. Just choosing not to eat food is not fasting. Just seeking after God for our own benefit is not the faith. If you want to be like God, then be like God. And God is here for those who are hurting. God is here for those who are hungry. God is here for those who are down and out, who are oppressed and depressed. You want to be like God? Then let's be like God. Let's find ways to practice the Sabbath that can either seek to be with God, not because we're trying to manipulate or control or to utilize, but let's just seek to be with God, to be with God. Or let's, let's use our, our Sabbaths to kind of practice godly behavior, to, to be with the needy, or even the lonely. You see, you could use your, your Sabbath meal as an opportunity to bless someone, to be kind and patient to that server, maybe to tip more than your typical you know, 20%. Kind of bless them. Oh, for the day that Christians might live in the world in such a way that Sunday after church would be the shift that every server wants to work. If that were the case, then I would know that we are keeping Sabbath the way we should. Man, I really like that. I'm going to say it again. Oh, for the day that the Sunday uh, shift after uh, church, the Sunday afternoon shift at a restaurant, would be the shift that all the servers clamored to try and get to work because it was the best shift of the week because all those Christians who had kind of funneled out of their churches had found their way to those restaurants and they were kind and they were patient and they were generous. Then 
we would collectively be celebrating the Sabbath as the Sabbath should be celebrated. To create, to make new, to be with God, to care for the hurting and the oppressed. I thank God for you. I love you. I love Oasis. Uh, I don't come here because I have to, right? I come here because I love to. And I'm, I'm grateful to get to be a part of your lives because I see you, many of you, already living the life that I know that God has called you to live. You're finding ways to be faithful. You, you, you fast in ways that don't neglect the poor, and you Sabbath in ways that are creative and present and giving. In fact, um, this week, we, we had three of you kind of come in and sit down and share some of your testimonies. And now I'm delighted to kind of share those with the rest of us. I practice silent prayer. It is a, it is a doing. My mindful practices are techniques meant to restore your spirit. Your, 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 your body. So uh, when I pray, that is, that is me being with the giver, not looking for the gift. It's, it's taking something which a gift God has given me to see things and, and, and make things out of. Um, most of what I, I use is trash. Uh, and I like to see the beauty that's hidden inside of it. To me, the woodworking is kind of a representative. The wood is something somebody's thrown away. And God says, no, it's not, this is not ugly, this is not trash, this is something valuable. All you got to do is uncover what's valuable in it. And that's what, he did, what God does with people's lives. Now that I'm retired, Wayne and I volunteer at the Good Shepherd Hospice. A lot of times I'll tell people that I volunteer at hospice and their reaction is, oh wow, I don't know how you do that. And that would have been my reaction before my mom's illness. When you watch your mom die a little bit at a time over five weeks, you have a different perspective on life and death. But something about it just really makes me feel like I'm really making a difference in somebody's life. So what happens in prayer is there are good times and there are harder times of being quiet, feet on the floor, hands on the lap, eyes closed, say your prayer word, and being bombarded with thoughts. So that's not a failure. That's what that is that day, that hour. So when I'm finished, 20 minutes, twice a day, I say, well, that's what that is, and I'll be back either tomorrow morning or tonight. So I'm not looking for the peace. I'd say my favorite memory of working with uh, the patients in the hospice occurred about three or four weeks ago. Um, she wasn't dying, but she had Alzheimer's. She would say, do you think so? And I'd say, yeah, I, I do. Or no, I don't think so. I'd just pick one. And um, 
she'd say, I'm just teasing. And then we'd laugh and laugh. <laughs> At the end of the day, when it was time to go, and I, I said, I, I need to go. I'm, it's about time for me to go home. So I just want to let you know that I'm not going to be here the rest of the evening. And clear as a bell, the first clarity I'd seen all day, she's, she looked straight at me and she said, thanks for everything. You're all right. So yeah, I started the contemplative prayer with deep knee, kind of a desperation. We had a we had a crisis point um, dealing with our handicapped child, and we had kind of bottomed out. And um, even at that point, because I got this real relationship with God, is um, I'm I'm not mad at God. I just need more wanting more versus crash and burn. Observing the Sabbath is really a statement of trust. He says, my people, when they keep the Sabbath, it's a sign of the covenant to the other nations. I want to read for you a passage from Luke's Gospel. This is Luke 13. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then appeared a woman with a spirit that had been crippled for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her immediately, she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Look, whether it's what Anna said, that, that, that when she prays, she's not looking for a gift, she's looking to be with the giver. Or what, what Ted was talking about when he's turning his wood, that he's, he's not chopping down trees in order to kind of make into his kind of uh, bowls and furniture and stuff. He's picking up trash, you know, wood that otherwise would just be wasted. And, he, and he's saying that, you know, the world might think this is of no value, but that's exactly how God works. He takes that which we thought was useless and he makes it useful. Or, or Leslie, when she goes every Sunday <laughs> to just kind of sit with people who are in hospice, people who, who don't have the wherewithal to kind of know, you know? They're just kind of speaking nonsense. You, you agree? You disagree? What, what am I agreeing or disagreeing with? And it, you know, that, those moments of clarity that she testified about are beautiful, 
But what's really beautiful is that somebody spends their Sunday afternoon with someone they don't know in order just to be present with them. So, you know, sometimes when we're reading Scripture, particularly like the passage in Isaiah, it's, they're, they're often kind of pointed, right? And they're saying, here's where kind of the Jews went wrong. But we have to be careful because if we... I think we need to be careful because when we speak about that, we don't want to sound anti-Semitic, like, wow, boy, those dumb, dumb Jews, they always got it wrong. Because keeping the Sabbath is one of the things the Jews have done for, for millennia. And I believe it's one of the things that kind of maintained their identity. So generally, when one uh, you know, family or group of families kind of uh, migrate or immigrate from one nation to another... That first generation, it's difficult. They often speak the, the, you know, the mother tongue, the language from wherever their homeland is. And their assimilation into culture is kind of minor. But that second generation, right, they're, they're, you know, they, they've kind of gone to school, right? Let's imagine people kind of uh, immigrating into the U.S. They've kind of gone to school. They've kind of learned the language the culture, the dress, you know, they would pick up on the, the cultural references like we had earlier about Star Trek or Star Wars and what have you. And then by the third generation, you often find that the, the children no longer speak the language. Like they know that, you know, a few words because grandma talks to them or they have a particular meal that they like and it's, it's kind of a, a particular cultural ethnic food that kind of represents their people group. But assimilation happens pretty fast. And by fourth or fifth generation, we've pretty much lost all sense of where we come from. Right? I mean, you might say, well, my family's Irish or my family's German or, you know, my, my family's from Argentina or where have you. But typically, we don't know much about what that means. We, we have been completely and kind of utterly assimilated into the dominant culture. Um, for you, side note here, for you Trekkie fans, our culture works like the Borg, right? Uh, resistance is futile. Everyone is going to be assimilated. And that's exactly what happened. So here's the question. Some 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was utterly destroyed by the Romans. Utterly destroyed. Like nothing was left. They burnt down the temple. They destroyed the cities. They changed the name of the land. Like there's nothing left. How in the world today do we have any sense that there is such a thing as a Jew? Like how did they maintain their culture? How did, how did they exist? I mean, typically if two or three or at the most four or five generations and everybody's assimilated... How did they know where they came from? Well, a big part of that is in their families. They continued the practices. Their family ties were strong. They continued to keep Sabbath, to pray, to remember that God had chosen them and that God had promised something to them. And the synagogue and the Sabbath were ways in which they were able to maintain an identity and a memory that otherwise they wouldn't have had. You want to talk about modern miracles? Here's a modern miracle. The fact 
that Judaism didn't just cease to be once they had no place to worship, no nation to call home. There's this beautiful uh, story. It was a play and it became a movie uh, called Fiddler on the Roof. And it's, you know, it's set in Russia in the late 19th century. And it was just one of many iterations where Jews were kind of um, marginalized. They were kind of you know, forced, forced out. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, one of my favorite, favorite parts is they come to the, to the rabbi and they ask if there's a blessing for the czar, right? the, the Russian king. Yeah? And he thinks for a minute and he's like, hmm, there's a blessing for everything. He says, so okay. He says, God bless the czar and keep him far, far away. <laughs> There's this other scene that, that um, the, main, the main characters, uh, Tevia and Golda, uh, are coming to, to celebrate their, their Sabbath meal, their Friday afternoon meal. And uh, they have six daughters. Seems all, all a little too familiar at the moment. And, and they sing this song, and it's a song of blessing, and it's a song of remembrance, and it's a song that invites us to the table. This meal, this table, is, is intricately connected to this story about family, the family ties that hold us strong together. This is something that we do on such a regular basis because we're trying to get away from this idea that somehow it's just a matter of what you think, it's just a matter of what you do. No, the, the work is the Lord's. Salvation is mine. This is what the psalmist says. The, the psalmist is saying it, but he's saying it of God, that God says salvation is mine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the work of the Lord. We're just seeking to be present with God in a real and authentic way to come into the presence of the Lord and to receive these ever so simple and ordinary elements that God then somehow mysteriously takes and transforms into our bodies. C.S. Lewis spoke about this mystery. He's like, I don't know how it works. But it's similar to the, how, the way food works to our natural bodies. Communion, coming to the table, works for our souls. It, it gives it nourishment. We come in stillness. We come in quiet. We come not so much taking, but receiving experiencing the presence, receiving the forgiveness, experiencing the welcome, the hospitality that is our Lord. God loves us. God wants to be with us. God designed the Sabbath as a weekly practice that we could practice just those things. And here is yet 
another practice, the table of the Lord. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.